Is anyone glad to be here today? Well, great to hear that. Uh, I am too. My name is Michael, one of the pastors on staff here at Grace. And uh, I am the young adult pastor for Fremont Tiffin, also our Fremont Fuse Middle School pastor. And I know AJ spoke last week, and then I'm here this week. And so our plan for Fuse to slowly take over the Tiffin campus is happening, and uh, it's just, but, but Zach's gone with his family, and so I get the privilege of finishing out our series today, and we're, we're talking about we are the church, who we should be as believers, and by extension, Grace Community Church, who, you know, we should be collectively on uh, every day of the week, not just Sundays, but who we should be, how we should live our lives. And so today, we want to talk about this idea that our faith is not just for ourselves, but we are meant to reach others. And we are going to be in our, uh, just one passage today, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you have your Bibles. If not, we'll have it on the screen. But um, to reach others, to do that job, I want us to embrace three new realities for a believer that is found in this text. And so I'll kind of tell you where we're going before we get there. As a believer, we have a new perspective, a new purpose, and a new passion. And so those are kind of the three main points, and we are going to jump right into it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 17. Paul, uh, he's writing the church of Corinth, not the first time he's writing them, but he loves them, he cares about them, but he's covering a lot of ground in this letter. And so he's encouraging them, but telling them, hey, there's a few areas that we can uh, make better and make more like Christ. And here's what he says. From now on, then we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. So he says, from now on, and what he's referring to is when someone becomes a believer, that moment of conversion, from now on, when you place your faith in Jesus, you are given a new perspective. And Paul, he viewed people from a worldly kind of lens. He saw people based on their appearance, based on their religion, where they're from, their status, how much you know, they could bring to the table. And Paul realized, okay, that was wrong. He viewed them from a worldly human perspective like we often do. And he says, no, that's not true anymore. From now on, now that I have understand, or I've, I've understood the truth of the gospel, I have a new perspective. Now, what he prioritizes and what he finds more important is not where someone's from, who their family is, what their past contains. It's whether a person has trusted in Jesus or not. And Paul also thought incorrectly about Jesus. He's like, yeah, we even thought about this way with Jesus because he viewed him as there's no way he could be the Messiah. Like, there's no way. He, he comes from a small town. He's not royalty. He is being rejected. He's homeless. He's just <laughs> hanging out with the worst crowds. And he's, he experiences humiliating death. There is no way that is the Savior. There's no way that is God. And it's not just Paul. You read all over the Bible of people misinterpreting who Jesus was. Even his own disciples, before they began to follow him, if you go to John chapter 1, Philip goes to Nathanael and says, hey, we found the Messiah. Like who Moses and everybody was writing about, we found him. 
He's in Nazareth. And Nathaniel, one of Jesus' disciples, or at least he will be at this time, he says, there's no way anything good can come from Nazareth. And he said that because he's viewing him from a worldly perspective, which is wrong. But Paul understands that he now sees things from a different perspective in a new light. And he sees Jesus for who he truly is, and that's God. And so he sees believers as new creations in Christ, and unbelievers as people in need of Christ. And what he's trying to say is that once we learn the truth, our perspective changes. Once we learn the truth, our perspective changes. I remember when, uh, when I was a kid, probably early to mid-elementary school, uh, there would be times where I would be in the car with my mom and my brother, my older brother Thomas, and uh, we'd be going somewhere, and my mom would, would do this thing where she would change the radio station, not by touching it, but by pointing her finger at the radio. And it would blow my mind. Like, she would do it, and she'd say, okay, watch this. Boom. And it would change. Like, 1015, 102, you know, switch over. And I could not wrap my mind around it. I'm trying to replicate it, but I can't do it. So I'm just sitting there for, like, minutes at a time going, why is my finger not working? You know, it's, it's, it's not working. And I just thought, man, my mom must be, like, a Jedi using some powers I'm just a muggle, so like, I can't do anything like that. You know, it, I, I, I can't do it. And little did I know that she was hitting the scan button, and then every three to five seconds she would time it out, point, time it out, point. You know, uh, I was way out of the loop. But to make matters worse, my brother would be in the car, and he knew what she was doing. So, like, he knew, he understood that, okay, yeah, Michael's dumb. She's playing a prank on him. And he would be in the back seat going, no, 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 no. Michael, you're doing it wrong. Let me show you how it's done. And he wouldn't just point. He would do like the fanciest, most showboat way possible. And he'd go like behind the back point or he'd pretend to dribble basketball and go point. You know, it's annoying. And he does what brothers do, which is annoy their other brothers. But me, I was completely like it took way too long for me to catch on. But once I finally realized, okay, she's not using the force to change the radio She's just a mom playing a cruel prank on her son. Once I realized the truth, I saw everything from a different perspective. I saw it in a new light. And in a similar way, when we embrace the truth of the gospel, our perspective is changed. That we have a new lens, that we have a new angle on life, and especially, specifically, people. And we need to ask ourselves, how do we view people? And it's not wrong to notice differences. Like God has made us all unique for a reason. But if the only way that you or if we view people is by where they work, what car they drive, what color their skin is, or maybe even how they treat you, then that is a worldly, it is not a biblical way to view others. And for example, uh, let's say we go to Kroger, we go to Walmart, you grab some groceries, you grab, grab some things, maybe even some Christmas presents. You put it in the cart. You go to checkout to the register. And the cashier that's you know, scanning your items and, and giving you your change, if all they are to you are the person who just rings you up and gives you your receipt, then we're off. 
Instead of viewing them just off what they can do for you, we need to view everyone, and that's just a small example, but we need to view everyone as someone who is created in the image of God, who is loved by their creator, cared for him, and should be cared for by us as well. A person who is going to spend eternity in one of two places. A person who is in need of God's grace, just like I am. And so we need to make sure that we are not viewing people from a worldly point of view. Because if we only view them the old way, then we will never be able to address their spiritual needs. And he goes on to say in verse 17, which we already read, that if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. And so he's not saying, you know, because in the general sense, we're still the same person, same name, same living kind of circumstances. He doesn't just automatically make our lives you know, perfect and, and, and that much better. But what he's focusing on is what actually changes. That he gets rid of our misconceptions, of our enslavement to sin, and Jesus brings in hope and life. And ultimately, the, the biggest thing God gives us is himself. He gives us the Holy Spirit. And yes, we still live in this fallen world, in this flesh, in this sinful nature, but we have God living with us. And the effects of that are so far-reaching. The effects of that are so dramatic to a person's life that the only way that Paul can describe it is that they are a new person. Like that's all he can describe it as. Not, oh yeah, their life's a little better. They're kind of more improved. No, they are a new creation. And this is the biggest alteration that you can make in your life. And it's not just behavioral, it's not just outward, but it is inward renewal as God is able to make anyone new. And that doesn't stop there. That is a continual process, a continual growth that happens as we, we, be, we become more and more like Jesus. And so not only do we have a new perspective, but we are given a new purpose. Verses 18 through 19 say, everything is from God. Or your version might say, all these things are from God. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. And so when he says everything, he's referring to you know, the, all the new things that, that God gives us when we're saved. And so all of it, God makes it possible. Every dimension of salvation, of us being saved, going from uh, darkness to light, death to life, all of that is made possible by God. And he is the one who makes it possible. And as we try to figure out, you know, what our purpose is, okay, we have a new perspective, we see things different, but what is our purpose? Like, what are we meant to do with that? As we look at these two verses, and you can do this with any portion of Scripture, if you want to find out what's, like, the main point, what's the focus, then you just have to look and see what does God repeat? What does God say over and over? And in these two verses, Paul uses reconcile or reconciliation four times. Four times in two verses. And so that is the core or at the core of the gospel, that we have been reconciled to God by God. And reconciliation, just that term, it means 
the establishment of peace or harmony between enemies. So if we have to be reconciled to God, that means that you know, it, it's assumed that there is hostility or that the relationship between man and God is severed, that there is a disconnect, that it's not perfect. Romans 5 tells us that we are enemies of God, that we've gone away, that we've rebelled, that we've sinned, and that's not good for us. It's not good news. But it says that we are able to be reconciled. And I think the tough part about anybody coming to have a saving faith in Jesus, often the thing that gets in the way is getting them to understand, or any of us, getting someone to understand that they need a savior. Getting people to understand that we are not good enough, just on our own. I know for me, before I became a Christian, that was um, my kind of logic, that I was saved in middle school. But when I looked around at everybody else, I would compare myself and say, okay, well, I don't uh, curse like that person, or I don't um, you know, get angry like them. I'm not doing as many you know, um, just bad things or sinful things. Like, I'm a pretty good person. But that was far from the truth. And maybe that's a lot of us here today that you may think, well, God really wouldn't punish me forever, would he? Like, just because of my sin, I don't have road rage like, you know, they do, or I don't um, steal money like this person. I don't talk bad about people like them. But we have to understand that the standard is not other people. The standard is God. And we fall short. And that's why we need to be reconciled to him. The passage says that he is reconciling the world to himself. And this doesn't mean that he's saving the world in the sense of every single person will be saved. But it does mean that the people who trust in him and take advantage of his free gift will be reconciled and their relationship can be restored. It's freely provided by God, but we need to accept it. And I think some wonder, um, you know, as the Bible says, he's reconciling the world. You may wonder, like, okay, well, did Jesus die for everybody or just the church? Like, is he the savior of the world or only Christians? And here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that his work, his life, death, and resurrection is sufficient for every human being. No matter who it is, no matter what amount or number of people come to decide, that, okay, Jesus is the Savior, and I, there's no way to God other than for me to trust in him, anybody that makes that decision, Jesus' death and resurrection is sufficient. But it's only effective for those who believe. It's only applied to those who trust in that gift. And so we the reason we can't fix this relationship on our own is because we have a debt that needs to be paid. But God wants to forgive us, and he has made a way for us to do that. It says in the verse we just read that, not, that he is not counting trespasses against them, that we deserve punishment and God must be just. But when we place our faith in Jesus, God treats us as though we've never sinned. And that is not true for any of us. But he treats us as though we have never sinned. He removes the barrier for us to have a relationship with him. He takes the initiative, and this is so important because it's not us saving ourselves. God is the reconciler here. 
that we've done wrong, but God is seeking us out to mend things. And we have no ability to appease God's anger on our own. No ability. But he wants to make us a part of his family. He wants to make us his children. And so when it comes to reconciling with God, it's not about what we do. It's about what we embrace. Knowing that he has done everything for us. Every other religion, every other belief system will tell you, you have to do this, you have to work, you have to kind of earn your way, and hopefully you're good enough, and over time you can kind of achieve this. The gospel says it's already done. You just have to trust in what you can't do and what Jesus has done for you. So now with this message, we've also been given a job and a purpose. It says that we've been given the ministry and entrusted us with the message of reconciliation. Basically just saying, hey, what you know, we are meant to tell other people. Through sharing the gospel, God has given us a role, has given you a role in helping people be reconciled to him. And he wants people who have experienced that to tell others. So that we can say, yeah, I have trusted in Jesus I have made that decision, and he can change your life. He offers a a new life. He offers forgiveness. God wants us who have experienced it to tell others. That makes sense, right? I mean, I don't, I'm probably like you guys. I've been doing a little Christmas shopping, and uh, normally I make a December 24th panic Walmart run every year, but this year I'm a little ahead of the game and uh, making my way. But I've went to uh, Amazon a few times and I've bought a few things and there's a few items that I was like on the fence about that I wanted to buy for someone but I didn't know if it was worth it or if I didn't know if it would actually work or be worth my money. And so probably like you guys, uh, I've gone to the item and then gone to the reviews and see, okay, what do they say about it? Does it actually do what it's supposed to do? And hopefully all the people who left reviews are from people who have actually bought the item or who have actually experienced it, right? I don't want to hear from someone who says, oh yeah, I saw a commercial for this item and it looks really great, so five stars out of five. No, I don't want to hear that. I want to hear from somebody who knows, okay, does this work? Is it worth my money? Is it worth my time? In the same way, we are meant, once we experience what God has done for us, We tell others, and we show them how they can have the same thing and follow the same Savior that we do. And so we are given, and that's our purpose, to tell others. We are given a new perspective, we're given a new purpose, and also a new passion. Verse 20 says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf Be reconciled to God. So to sum up our ministry or our purpose, our job, he gives us the title of ambassador. It's pretty official, right? Ambassador for Christ. And this word, it means to be a messenger and also a representative. And so for uh, for the Roman Empire, for Paul's time, they would often send an ambassador Rome would to to other provinces, other smaller nations that they were kind of in control of. And they would send an ambassador there to maintain peace and to govern and to 
you know, hopefully institute some control and some rules to everybody else. And even today, you can be an ambassador of a nation, you can be an ambassador of an organization, a team, a company. But they would send an ambassador out, and before leaving, they would give them a commission, they would give them a job, and their purpose was to take whatever message, whatever truth that their authorities told them to tell, they took that and presented it in the most appealing way possible that it was completely truthful, that they wanted to make sure not to change any word or letter, exactly how it was presented, they want to present it to others. But they did not have their own motive. They did the desire of the one they represent. And that's what Paul had in mind here, that we are ambassadors. When we are called by that title, we represent Christ and we speak for him. And what's Interesting is God, he chose that humans would speak on behalf of him. Like if you think about it, it's crazy because you have God who is all-powerful, all-knowing, creator, self-sustaining. He doesn't need anybody else. And he allows us to speak for him. And he allows us to play a part in his redemptive plan. And this was Paul's passion to speak on behalf of God and allow others to know the same truth that he knows. And so that's why he said in in verse 20 that we plead with people, that we implore people. And this word has a lot of definitions, but it's usually referred to uh, like begging. Now Paul didn't beg, but what he did do is he showed his desire for them to understand what was really going on. The fact that they needed a savior. And so you may wonder, okay, well, why did Paul have to beg? Why did he have to plead? Why did he have to persuade people? It's because we love our sin. It's because the Bible says that we are darkened in our understanding before Jesus, that naturally we want to do everything opposed to God, that he is good, that we are not. He is perfect and we fall short. But we need to help people understand that they are sitting under judgment. So we never want to present the gospel with this take it or leave it attitude where it's like, yeah, you know, if you get around to it, think about it. It's really good. You know, Jesus, he's a cool guy. No, we need to help people understand that their eternity is on the line if they do not trust in the gospel, which is perfectly summarized in verse 21. In verse 21, and this probably deserves a sermon of its own, but verse 21 says that he made the one, so God made Jesus, he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God treated Jesus as if he were a sinner. He was crucified. He took the guilt and penalty for our sins. Now, Jesus had no sin, but it says that he was so closely connected with ours that God made him sin for us. Again, not that he was sinful, but he took our place. And so we have no righteousness of our own, but because of what Jesus has done, we are made the righteousness of God. And if you notice in verse 20, or sorry, verse 21, it doesn't say that we receive righteousness. It doesn't say that we get it. It doesn't say that we have it. It says that we become the righteousness of God, that we 
become the righteousness of God. So God doesn't see our sin. He sees that Jesus has paid our offenses. Jesus' death becomes our death. And his life becomes our life. And that news, that truth, was never meant to be kept to ourselves. That Paul says that we are a messenger, we are ambassadors for Christ. And in, in, in verse 20, where it says, we are ambassadors, uh, that phrase, I know it doesn't necessarily re- read like it, but that phrase, ambassadors, is actually not a noun. It's a verb. And so it's not just, hey, you are an ambassador, but it's actually the act of being an ambassador. So I think God's trying to get us to understand it's not just a title, it's an action. It's not just who you are, it's what you do. And we are always representing Jesus. And we do that best when we live a life worthy of the gospel and when we are constantly helping others see our Savior that they can know the same truth that we have, any way possible. If we can serve people, we wanna serve people. If we can encourage them, if we can pray for them, most importantly, we wanna share the gospel with them. We want to verbally communicate, hey, there is a God that created you, that loves you, but your sin gets in the way. If you acknowledge your sin and put your belief in him and choose to follow him with your life, then he can give you a new one, a fresh start. He can forgive you. We want to do that. And another way that we can help people know Jesus is invite them to church. And uh, AJ was talking about it earlier, but we are excited for our Christmas series. Uh, the next three weeks, every week will be you know, gospel-focused, a great time for hopefully you to invite friends and family and um, just make them feel welcome. Um, but I want to pause real quick here because I, I, I want to make sure we understand that the goal of being an ambassador, the goal of trying to reach people in your life. The ultimate goal is not to get them to church. Like, it's not. The ultimate goal is not to get them here. But yes, every believer should be plugged into a local church. Yes, we want as many people as we possibly can here so that they can hear the truth. Yes, we want grace to be a tool so that you can invite your friends, family, and they feel welcome to hear the truth. But hear me out, our job is not to get people in a building. Our job is to make disciples. That's the last thing that Jesus said before he left. That he said, okay, everything I've taught you, everything you've experienced, everything you know, go and tell that to others. Go and make disciples of all nations. He said, reach them, teach them, and once they're saved, baptize them. Whatever you know and the truth that you have, Share that with others. That's the last thing he said before we leave. And, and so as believers, that's what we should do. And as a church, we want to be mission-minded. We want to reach others and help them know our creator. But again, here at Grace, we don't just want a high attendance. We want mature followers of Christ. And mature followers will tell people, will proclaim the gospel to those in their life those they love, and those they care about. You can tell people that they can be reconciled to God. And if left up to their own merit, they're going to spend eternity paying for their sin. 
but you can tell people how they can find this forgiveness. There is no higher calling. There's no greater privilege. There is no more urgent task than being an ambassador for the sake of the gospel. Because when we share that news, Paul says that God is making his appeal through us. That when we share the gospel, it is equivalent to the voice of God speaking through us and to other people. That is a privilege. That's something that we should enjoy doing. And so God's plan A for reaching the world is you, is the church. And there is no plan B. That if you have someone in your life, or I, I know all of us have multiple people in our lives, that if they were to uh, die today, that they probably would not spend eternity with God. We all have those people in our lives. And if we want them to be reached, if we want them to know who Jesus is, that's your responsibility as a Christian. God will use you to reach your family, your friends, your coworkers, your classmates, your neighbors. And we should have a passion to see that happen. As, uh, as, we were, or as I was preparing for this message, uh, Pastor Tim told me about uh, a story that he found. It was actually in the New York Times archives. It happened in 1964, so just a few days ago. And uh, it was in Dayton, Ohio. And it says that 12 people witnessed this woman drive her car, lose control, and crash into the Miami River. And so you have a dozen people just kind of watching this all take place. It says her car plunged in the water, and she climbed out. And initially, like, you know, part of the car was probably still floating, but it's slowly, um, you know, starting to sink. And she got out of the car. She climbed out and got on top of her car while it's in the water, and she is screaming, I can't swim. And I don't know this for sure, but I'm guessing she said that over and over and over as loud as she could, I can't swim. And no help came. That one of the witnesses afterwards said that they saw the car just go beneath the surface, and she jumped into the water. She kicked a little, and then disappeared. And they found her body two hours later. Now, if you're like me, I read that story and go, how can you just sit by and watch somebody drown? Like how is it, there's 12 people, how did nobody make an initiative, make a move, make a step to go help them? Like how can they be that apathetic to someone right in front of them dying. And I want to lovingly challenge a lot of us in this room that we do the same thing every single day. That there are people who have no hope. That there are people who are lost. There are people that are seeking answers. There are people that are in need of a savior. And we say nothing. And we are often too comfortable with people possibly going to hell. And we don't want to have those spiritual conversations. And you know, going back to that story, my guess is that the, the bystanders that, that were watching, they really weren't like numb. They were probably conflicted. They were probably going, well, you know, I, I guess somebody should help her, but I don't really want to do it. Um, you know, I don't want to kind of be the first person. I wonder if anyone else 
on the shore. It's going to help. But no one did. And no one decided to take that first step. And that is the last thing that we want to do. That when we have people in our lives that are still dead in their sin, and if left up to their own merit, actions, good deeds, they fall hopelessly short. And so we do not want to sit on the sidelines and hope that, yeah, man, I care about them, but hopefully someone else can share that news with them, and I hope they get saved in the future. We don't want to just bring them to church and then hope, man, Pastor Zach better have a good message today because they need saved. It's our responsibility. God wants to use you. His plan for saving them is you, is the church, and there's no plan B. There's no other option for people to know about the gospel if we don't tell them. And this isn't just me, um, you know, being a pastor saying, hey, you guys need to do this. I am speaking from a lot of experience in failing in this area. That I can still, dozens and dozens of conversations, I can play back in my head of people that I'll never see again. That I knew that they had a wrong view of God. I knew that if they were to die today, they would be in hell. But what did I do? I was too afraid to say something. I didn't want to say the wrong thing. I didn't want to, you know, stand out. And so I decided to sinfully disobey God and not share the gospel with them. So many missed chances. And so because of that, I want to make sure and plead with everyone here that not only is your, your salvation in order, but you can help others know that same truth. And so I want to ask, do you have a passion for the lost? Or is your passion what's lost? Do you care about people who don't know Jesus? Or are we apathetic as we watch people live their life with no hope? But the good news is, we have the greatest news ever. That you, if you have trusted in Jesus, he has given you a role, he has given you this purpose, this job, this role, to share that with others. That's a privilege. We should find joy in that. That we have this truth that sets us free, that can set the world free, and we get to share that with others. So the solution as we want to throw out this challenge today, is that we want to seek God and know him even more, but we pray for opportunities. We pray for wisdom. We pray for words to say. We pray for determination to obey him. We ask for boldness, knowing that we have the greatest gift that's ever been given, and that is found in Jesus Christ. We have this message, we have a mission, and we have a motive. And when we trust in Jesus, we have a new perspective, we have a new purpose, and we have a new passion. And that's to reach other people with the same gospel that we've been changed by. Let's go ahead and pray as we, as we wrap up. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for today, allowing us to be here freely to study your word, to know you, God, I pray that we would understand that there are billions of people in this world that don't know you, that we want to live on mission, that we want to live out our purpose in sharing our faith and telling others 
how they can be reconciled to you. And so God, I pray that we would find joy in that. I pray that we would be able to just wake up every day and be thankful for what you've done and know that we have the greatest news, greatest truth ever. And that we would help others see that you are good, that we fall short, but God, you have offered forgiveness even though we don't deserve it. You have reconciled us to yourself. You don't count our trespasses against us. And God, I pray that we would just be believers, that we would be a church that takes that seriously. And I pray for everyone in this room that if they have not made a decision to trust in you, that they would do that. They would seek out a friend or someone here, a volunteer, a staff member, and just realize that you are the greatest thing that we can live for and help us to be about reaching other people. In your name, amen.